we can uh, give you the little gift on the way out that my wife talked about. Uh, well, if you got your bulletin, you can follow along in that. If your U version, if your technology is working, then um, uh, we can. You'll be able to follow along on your smartphone or web-enabled device on U version. But we're going to go ahead and get into <coughs> the teaching for today, and we started this last week. And so, um, don't say, "Well, I missed part one. I, I'm I'm going to be lost." No, the, each of these can kind of be a bit of a standalone. But we're looking at these things, outrageous things that Jesus said. Most of the stuff that Jesus said, honestly, when you look at the context, it ruffled feathers. Jesus didn't go around, the stuff that he said in context, it bothered people. All of a sudden, the, the, the power brokers that be are getting challenged. The people that thought that they were stuck and have no hope. All of a sudden, they have hope. There's, there's life that's available. And everything starts getting shifted and turned around. And, and everything that Jesus said took people's paradigms and their thought processes and jacked with them a little bit. It, it brought things into alignment. And so much of it, if you're raised in church, we're just kind of used to it. We've heard it all our lives, and, and sometimes we don't get it. But there's a few things that Jesus said that we bristle at. And we're like, oh, Jesus, I can't believe you said that. This doesn't seem very Jesus-y. If I was to throw WWJD at somebody, I would not expect that to fly out of their mouth. Jesus, you need to be more like you. Something's out here. And so some of these things just can, can trip us up. So as we're going and we're going to spend a total of seven weeks looking at this thing, then we're going to look at some of the outrageous things that Jesus said. Because some of the things Jesus said, they honestly, they seem completely outrageous because we were looking at them completely wrong. It's not that they were completely outrageous. It's our perspective was off. So therefore, it seemed outrageous. And he's honestly realigning us and bringing us into a place of truth. That we have to view everything Jesus said from the lens of why he came. Why Jesus left the splendor of heaven. And came here, lived and taught and died and was resurrected and ascended back to the Father. Why he did that. And if we get away from that lens, we'll start to see things wrong. See, the word tells us that John, in John three seventeen, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That is why Jesus came, not to condemn the world. He didn't come to show up and say, hey, you're all messed up. You're all jacked up. You're all doing it wrong. Guess what? Most people already recognize stuff isn't working. People are people. Well, no matter what century or millennia you drop people into, people are people. And people were broken and messed up then, just like they're broken and messed up now, and recognize things are out of whack. I don't need another diagnostic tool to tell me things are out of whack. I need some hope that things can be fixed. I need some hope that things don't have to be stuck here. I've been banging my head trying to do this on my own and my efforts have got me nowhere and I'm honestly, I'm giving up. I'm done with this. I'm done with this and I'm just going to figure out how to limp a little better 
to make through life. And Jesus came to turn that around and to be able to bring real truth and real life and real restoration, real salvation, the wholeness to us. And if we don't do, if we don't look at it through that lens, we're going we're gonna to mess it up. We don't look at it through the context of why he came. We're going to mess it up <clears throat> in our first couple of months of marriage. In fact, I think it was our first month of marriage. That, um, anyway, still very much the honeymoon period. Still very much I was Superman and could do no wrong. And, uh, and uh, you didn't just throw up. And uh, somebody get that woman a bucket. And um, anyways, but uh, I, I was working for a really great guy here, here in, this, in, in our community. And we had started another, another venture, another little uh, side thing from his main business. And uh, at a, a tender age of 20, he put me in charge. And there were some employees, and I was a boss for the first time in my life. And so we were, he invited us, Cutie and I, over to his home to be able to discuss how to move this business forward, the plans, all, everything that we need to do. That was why we went over to have this meeting at their house. That was why, is to discuss this. On the way there, we've been married just a couple of weeks, okay? I've not had time to really blow it yet. All that was in the future. I was going to do dumb things really in the future, but, but that nothing had really shown her that I had, could make some poor decisions here and there. And on the way to this meeting, out of nowheresville, she tells me, don't you make them ask us to leave. <laughs> I've never been asked to leave someone's house. You've never experienced the embarrassment of being asked to leave someone's house with me? Sure. No problem. Got that base covered. We will not be asked to leave. So we go in, <clears throat> walk into the, the home, and there is the uh, annual uh, address to the nation, the State of the Union address on television. Well, me and this gentleman both had a political bent, so he'd already had it turned on. He's already watching it. I'm watching it. We're watching this. And it's over. We discussed the State of the Union address a little bit. My secular degree is in government. And so we're <clears throat> talking about, talking about this, these issues that be at the time and have not talked about the business, where things are moving forward, anything. The whole reason we were there. Not talked about it at all. Have this little visit, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he says, well, let me be the first to tell you goodnight. And I could just feel my wife glaring. And I'm like, and I just wanted in the middle of it to just go, it's not my fault. We didn't even cover what we were here for. I was waiting to talk about the thing, and we didn't talk about the thing. And so we get in the car, and it was a very quiet ride home because I did not want to talk about it. And uh, thankfully, she just sat there quietly and, uh, and didn't say, I told you so. Where did that? I don't even know where that came from. Somehow wives know the dumb things we're going to do even before we do them. 
That's why God said, he who finds a wife finds a good thing, and it's not good for man to be alone. Husbands, if your wife gives you some preemptive wisdom, take it. Sometimes they see your stupidity in motion well before you recognize that there's anything rolling there. You're welcome, wives. And so... uh, but without the, the paradigm was, we're here to talk about this. That's the way I was viewing it, and, I, and, that, and that's the way normally it works. We have to have our minds set on that, always. When we look at Jesus, Jesus didn't blindside us. Everything he did, he didn't change topics and shift direction. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to, for us, and he never got off topic. He never switched. He didn't have an unfulfilled assignment. He always stayed on point. So everything we look at what Jesus says, we have to recognize that it's from that perspective, that he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Matthew 5, verse 43. Let's get into this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It says this is a common saying. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. It's pretty intuitive, okay? We pretty much get this. The people that are close to us, people that we deal with all the time, people that were there, they may rub us the wrong way, but we need to love them anyways, Okay? Friendly neighbors, that we, not everybody's blessed with neighbors that are easy to get along with, but you know what, it's, that's going to be our stretch. But the person that sets themselves against me and, and, and is just bringing it all, well, man, all right, come on, let's go. That's our natural inclination. He said, you've heard it said that. Everybody's kind of tracking with him. Yep. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who are coming at you, who are designing things against you. Pray for your enemies. Now, we can't take this from a wonderful West Texas America perspective, okay? Because we don't have people standing on the corners and showing up and knocking on our businesses and telling us what to do that we're not an occupied place that honestly doesn't give a rip about what we want in life. That was what the Israelites and the Jewish nation was. They were, there were Romans on every corner. They were an occupied people. They were the enemy. They were supposed to be a free and sovereign nation to pursue God with all their hearts. And they were a dominated people and they resented it. They hated it with everything that they had. And here, in the middle of that, this isn't just some, oh, if you've got somebody that rubs you wrong way at work. This is somebody who you're dealing with every day that is your enemy that is set against you, that, that is against your way of life and your way of living and doesn't give a rip about you. I want you to love them, to pray for them. That was completely outrageous then. And the truth of it, when we get real honest, it is completely outrageous today. You and I don't like it at all. We don't like it at all. It bothers us tremendously. It says that you may be the children of your Father in heaven. That we can reflect that. That we can reflect the nature 
of who our Father God is. Now he begins to explain a little bit. It says, He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. There's good being poured out on everybody. It doesn't matter if they're doing everything just right. God still just rolls it out. He still pours out his grace. He still pours out his love. Those that recognize it and those that don't recognize it. It says, if you love those who love you, what, what good is that? What reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And they were the most despised group, period, because the tax collectors weren't Romans. The tax collectors were Jewish citizens who were traitors for a price of a good, <clears throat> some good wages to squeeze on their brothers to be able to take a little extra for themselves and give it to the Roman Empire. Don't even the people you despise the most, don't they do that? Don't they love one another? If you greet only your own people, are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans, people who, who, who have no God, worship whatever God's under the, under the sun, they make stuff up to worship, don't even they do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Where is Jesus asking us to step into? When people can misuse this, this be perfect as your heavenly Father's deal and, and make this some oppressive deal, what perfection is he asking us to grow into? Love. He's asking us to grow into love. He's asking us to let the heart of God begin to, to overshadow our own, our own <clears throat> selfish nature and begin to express God's love to everyone. Most of y'all are familiar with the, uh, the happenings in Garissa, Kenya, where there was a group of Islamist extremists that had left Somalia, went into Kenya, and went into the University of Garissa purposely because there was a high population of Christians in Garissa. And walks into there and they start in a Christian prayer meeting. That was where all the firing began. And they walk into there and there are 29 students in there and they begin to just open fire and lay into them. They began to do all this. In fact, if you subscribe to the Wall Street Journal, you saw a morning Kenyan student on the cover of the Wall Street Journal on Thursday. Well, we support an organization called Reaching Souls International. We've had the guy who oversees this man that we're about to talk about. We've had him in, come in and, and speak. And um, this guy who's his, who he report, directly reports to. But through our and your generosity, we had had someone who's already living in Garissa, who's already been preaching and ministering. <clears throat> Thankfully, um, we have a, and I have, my, his name has slipped my mind, and, uh, but it's Jarius <clears throat> Kithka. And him and, his, him and his wife, Irene, and their two kids happened to be on a little trip the day of the shooting. But as soon as everything went down and they understood what it was, you know what, <clears throat> you know what Jarius did? He went back to Garissa, where they were purposely targeting. They were letting the Islamic students out the door, and anyone that they suspected or would identify with Christ, they were killing 147 college students and teachers. 
147. And Jairus today is right there in Garissa, in that place of tension. And he is ministering the gospel of grace and love in the middle of all that mess. And that's in due part to your generosity. To help a guy who already lived in Kenya, who heard that Jesus Christ loved him and is his savior, who got excited about what's going on. On top of that, Jarius has four guys that he is mentoring to be able to do the same thing. And by the turn of the year, there's going to be five guys that we support that are in that community loving and ministering to those families that lost loved ones and, and being able to, to encourage them and to be able to stand and respond from a place of love. This concept of love your enemy gets no closer than what our brothers and sisters in Christ and Garissa are dealing with right now. This isn't just love the people who rub you wrong. This is have God's heart for the people that walk in your prayer meeting at college and shoot everyone, not just, they were shooting them in the head. Not just indiscriminately, they were pointing, shooting, aiming. It was an absolute horror. And our response in the middle of that is love. Because the truth is, is our response is not based on them with us choosing to be followers of Christ, as soon as we release control of our response and how we're going to roll to someone else, we've made them Lord. We've made them Lord. Does it matter if somebody comes in and they sweet talk you and and, and they seem to be super sweet and all of a sudden because of all the good that they're going to do, that they're going to control the decisions you make? We recognize that as manipulation and being Lord on the other end of it when somebody is vile and they hate you and they persecute you as soon as we let them dictate our response, they become Lord. We don't respond. Our love response is not based on them. Our response is based on Him. It has to be a reflection of the heart of God. It has to be. Outrageous love is the only thing that will break the cycle of hate and destruction. We've titled this Love Isis. Most of us, when we think of that, that makes our blood boil. Ah, there was a ah, there was a, a picture floating around a couple of weeks ago of the sweetest little four year old Syrian, Syrian girl who some journalists come in and they're carrying equipment that she's unfamiliar with. They've got cameras on their shoulders and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's all bizarre to her. And as she sees these journalists come in, she sees them and her little hand, she raises up her little hands in surrender and walks up to them so they won't shoot her. Four-year-old girl. That was her daily life. She would just live in life. And when these things come in, her immediate response is just, please don't shoot me. I'm sitting there reading that news article. I'm just crying. I've got a little girl that's almost for this little round-faced, big-eyed, beautiful little girl. Dressed in, 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 in her rural little clothing. Could have been my child. 
And I just began to weep and I felt the rage. I felt the rage begin to well up. And I just got so angry. And I honestly had a hard conversation with God. And I was like, God, I don't know how you do it. How do you love them? Because I know the truth. I know you love these people that are perpetrating these acts of horror and that Christ died for them and salvation is for them. And guess what? Our God that we quote all the time, Paul, was a terrorist. He was a terrorist. He was there at the, at the stoning of the first martyr. That we're going to read his response. He had papers to go and arrest Christians knowing that, that the very next step was going to be execution for them. Paul was a terrorist. And if Paul can have an experience with God and become this incredible man of love and take the gospel further than anybody else, can guess what? There's not a single one of them, no matter the atrocities they've committed, that's beyond hope. And if they're not beyond hope, then neither are you. That's, that's our God. That's our gospel. That's the truth of it. That's what changes everything. No one's beyond hope. And so what we have to do, and I had to take some long moments to even begin to get my heart right. Because did it sicken me to have these, these, these grown people having the attacks and the destruction that they're dealing with? Yes, but the stories of the children and all those different things, I just can't, I just can't take it. But God, he loves them and somebody has to break the cycle. Somebody has to break it. And see, God showed us how to do it. Romans 5.10 says, for while we were God's enemies, while we... We're ISIS for God. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? This is the truth. This is, this is what changes it all. That while we were enemies, you know what our natural picture of heaven is? Everyone we love and care for. And have felt love and care from together forever, for eternity. Just be honest. That's your picture of heaven. You think of heaven, the first people you think of is your grandparents who have gone before you. Some dear friend that passed way too soon that's gone before you. I am so grateful God had a different picture of heaven. God's picture of heaven was him being surrounded by people that had hated him and disregarded him. Heaven, God's picture of heaven were his enemies with him for forever. That was God's picture of heaven. That's not mine and yours. That's not mine and yours. When we're real honest, it's just not the case. We don't even see those people there at all. And that's definitely not what we think about and plan for. And God's plan was that while we were his enemies, he was plotting, he was putting things into practice, he was getting things set up so that the price was completely paid and all we had to do was say, yes, Lord, that's for me. You did it and I believe it. Luke 9, 49 says, Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out 
demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow with us. Oh my goodness. No wonder we can't deal. No wonder we can't deal with loving our enemies. No wonder why that's such a punch in the gut. We can't even be cool with people who are are rolling with us. They just don't fellowship with us under the same roof. They don't put the same little sign. They dress a little different to church. They look at the scriptures through a little bit different lens. And, and, they're, and we can't even get along with our own brothers and sisters in Christ. It's happened with the first disciples. No wonder we have a hard time loving our enemies. We have a hard time loving the people we look at in here. Let's let the love of God begin to invade us here and now. And Jesus said, do not forbid them, for he did not, was not a, against us, is on our side. And now it came to pass. We see that little picture of tension between even people who were, they were cool with, was going in the same direction. Oh, now, same group begins to get a little pushback. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadily set his face to go to Jerusalem and he sent messengers before his face and as they went they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John, John who's known for his love, saw this, they said, Lord... Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just like Elijah? They asked that of Jesus. Do you want us to just barbecue them, Lord? We'll torch them right here. You give the word. We have be able to call down miraculous fire and to scorch them and kill them all. Because they got a little pushback. These were guys who lived and breathed and walked with Jesus all the time. And they really thought that he might say yes. You saw them in their pose. They're like, can we do it? Can we do it? Look at Jesus' response. But he turned to them and he rebuked them. I tend to think it was pretty intense. I tend to think he was pretty firm. I tend, they, I tend to think that in their moment they were going, WWJD, WWJD, you're supposed to be sweeter than this. He rebuked them and said, Do you not know what manner of spirit you're of? For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. They were, he had to bring them back to why he's there. They forgot. They got off point. And therefore they got off love. Anytime we get off of that Jesus came to save all mankind, we get off love. Every time. And then they, <clears throat> and then they go to another village. Again, I want us to pound this into our heads. Our response is not based on them. Our response is based on him. And the last thing we want to hit as we close is our outrageous love fights for the good of those who can't see they need love. It's fights for their good. Luke 23 verse 33 says, And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And he's talking about everyone who is coming at him, killing him. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. 
and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. That was Jesus' response to people who were killing him. Father, forgive them. They're not really getting it. And I guarantee the heckler was like, we know what we're doing. We're very aware of what we're doing. But they didn't know what they were doing. Then we jump to Acts chapter 7. This is where Paul and him being part of the terror and being terrorist comes in. And we see Stephen who was full of the Holy Spirit. He was a servant. He was a deacon in the local church. He helped take care of the distribution of food to the widows. And he, the Holy Spirit had come upon him and he had preached. And they didn't, it was not responded to well. And they are stoning him. It says, And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, Look, he said, I see heaven open up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I love the truth that in the middle of all his enemies and the hate, all he could see was Jesus. How do we, how do we live the next piece of what Stephen did? It's beyond us, honestly. Unless we do what Stephen did, which is to keep our eyes focused on him. He says, I see this <clears throat> heaven opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices. And they act like a bunch of screaming three-year-olds. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they're drowning him out. Just in this complete mob craziness. And they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. They're picking up big rocks and they're hurling them at his head, at his body. You ever seen the look on someone's face when they are, they're just so mad and they're throwing, they're going to throw a punch or throw a fist. All of the rage, all of the anger is just so expressed. And they're just bringing everything directly at him. Multiple people are killing him with rocks. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, while he's getting hit, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I don't know about you, but my tendency in that would honestly be, God, I'm expecting you to deal with this. That would be my tendency. Lord, you see what they're doing. I'm on my way to you. He's going to get you. That was not his response. He said, Lord, don't hold it against them. I don't want this. I don't want what they're doing to me to count against them. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. The cycle has to be broken. The cycle of hate and destruction and, and punch for punch and yell for yell and you do this and I'm going to do this back. Someone has to break it and the only thing that breaks it is love. Now, you and I, we don't have to go across the globe and deal with the, the atrocities that are dealing with. 
our soldiers do, and you need to lift them up. And we have a lot of <clears throat> solid, Jesus-loving, Christ-following young men and women who are in the middle of that, and you pray for them to be able to walk in a place that they need to walk and, and do what they need to do. Lift them up. But you and I, you and I, we've got our own places of tension. We've got our own places where we need to walk in love. We've got our own places where unforgiveness and destruction and, and pain and the cycle and, and, and family members that haven't talked to each other for who knows how long and, and co-workers who op- operate on the other side of the office and take office breaks at different times so you just don't have to cross paths. And, and men and women who have decided to just press on till the kids are gone and then we'll deal with it. We've got to let love come in. And change the cycle of it all. Our response is not based on them. Our response is based on him. See, Jesus' love for us is completely outrageous. It's completely outrageous. Kathleen, he loves you so much. Best day, worst day, he loves you. He loves you. It's outrageous the way he loves us. Let's live outrageous lives that point people to the outrageous hope that we have in him. Nobody's beyond it. Nobody's beyond it. I'm going to create a quiet moment right here. And uh, if you're here today, and maybe you're just now connecting with the truth that this Christian life isn't about making a decision that you're finally going to do it all right. Saying, God, I've been blowing it, but now I'm really going to try harder. You recognize it's not that. It's that you're recognizing that it's not about what you did or plan to do, but what Jesus already has accomplished. That Jesus <clears throat> has paid the price. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and that includes you, and you simply believe it. And if you're here this morning and you say, God, I believe that Jesus really did pay for that. He did that for me. And if that's you and you want to receive that today, then we're going to pray with you and you're going to step over from death to life and you'll be a child of God and heaven will be your home. And that, that'll be you. If you're here today or you're over at T9, I want you to just lift your hand and, and say, that's me. I own that. I believe that. Yes. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Believers, it's already taken place. They believed it. They've already stepped over. So what I want to do is I want to be a part of your, your first prayer. I want to be a part of you coming in and praying in a newness of life. And we're going to pray with you. And we're going to simply repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for loving me. I thank you for your forgiveness. That Jesus paid it all. And I believe that. And that because of that, today I'm your child. And you're my Father. And the Holy Spirit lives in me. And you're going to bring about the changes that my life needs. This isn't about what I can do for you. This is about what you did for me. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes. Woo! That is what it is about. Guess what? Growing as a believer, it keeps being about that. It keeps being about what God does for us. So I want us to stand up. I want to pray over you as we go out of here.